0: Welcome to Tad Talks, the source for information, news, and best practices for career and workforce professionals.
1: Taking the mystery out of career development for you and your customers. So sit back, relax,
0: and enjoy this episode of Tad Talks. Everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tad Talks. This is Tressa Dorsey, and with me today, as always, my partner in crime co hosting Aaron Lesson. Howdy, y'all. What's up? How are you doing today?
1: Well, yeah, I guess I'm in a Texas kind of mood with that, y'all. I y'all, mean, I know
0: you went southern on me.
1: Well, I am doing pretty well up here in beautiful Battle Creek. Michigan, as you called it yesterday during our (laughs) workshop. I'm pretty excited about today's podcast with a good friend of ours and colleague, and I'll let you get to introducing him in a second. But really, honestly, things are good. Took some of my own advice yesterday on hope and really tried to focus today on what can I accomplish and get done. And um, to be satisfied with that, you know, I just feel pretty good. It's a beautiful, I almost said, what day is it? But that's just kind of, I think what we're all doing, unless you're out there daily getting out of your house to work, us people kind of at home, it's like, what day is it again? Like, I, I think I ask myself that five times a day.
0: Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. I actually feel pretty good uh, today. But But really, the reason why I think I'm in such a good mood is because we have an extra special guest. I'm actually really happy that he agreed to do this because he is one of the funnest guys I know. And anybody who listens to this podcast, all four people, if they've ever heard him speak, they will understand that his energy is really not comparable to to really anybody else that I know. So with no further ado, I want to introduce our guest today, Josh Davies, the Chief Executive Officer of Center for Work Ethic Development. And of course, the signature product that I always think of when I think of Josh Davies is bring your A-game. So did you bring your A-game today, Josh?
2: Tressa, I did. And I'm so happy that A.A. Ron brought two I mean that's really that's really I think a, a testament to the hope that he's uh, he's envisioning for his day. So I think that's uh, that's pretty awesome. It is truly a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And because you have me on, I think we'll have five people. Because I'm going to send this to my mom, so I'm oh, pretty good. confident she will uh, she'll listen to the podcast as well.
0: That's fantastic because I know Aaron and I um the other day we were like yeah I think we have like four followers now and that's great and I'm like but two of them are your parents and I think two of them are your kids. So I don't yeah you know, I don't know I don't know how big our audience really is but Te- uh, but i technically but I I think like-
2: aaron's kids share an account
0: so that's, oh, really, oh, that's Dang, that's dang really it. Well, well, hey, then we have one follower, but we yeah. might have two after this. So that's good. I, I like that your mom will come out and support. You know, I appreciate yeah. that. So awesome. So hey, I want to jump right in here because we kind of have a joke about origin stories, right? So my question to you is what is the Center for Work Ethic Development? I mean, explain what that is because I, I think that a lot of people workforce, work ethic, da da da. Oh, but what is it and what do you do?
2: So the Center for Work Ethic Development, uh, we're an organization that helps support people um, in getting the skills they need to not only get a job, but more importantly, keep that job. So we have, as you said, our signature curriculum and certification program called Bring Your A Game that focuses on the foundational workplace skills that unfortunately are the reason why almost 90% of people get fired. It's the technical skills that we're helping teach them that will get them the job, right? Whether or not that's welding or coding or getting a CDL. But it's not that people get fired because they can't do those jobs. They get fired because they don't show up. They get into fights. They don't put their phone down. They just need these basic common sense skills that are no longer common practice for a variety of reasons. Um, It's called Bring Your A Game because it focuses on the seven foundational skills, um, attitude, attendance, appearance, ambition, acceptance, appreciation, and accountability. And we work with organizations to help them integrate it into their existing training, whether or not that's a workforce center doing workshops. whether so that's a nonprofit, a community-based organization, uh secondary education, post-secondary. We do a lot of work in correctional facilities, veterans organizations, anyone and everyone who's helping to get people employed. Because we really believe that when people get work it not only changes their life, um, makes them more self-sufficient, but it changes their families, it changes communities, gives them a sense of self-worth you can't get anywhere else. And so that, that's what we do. And so uh, you know, we're lucky enough to partner with more than 750 organizations across all 50 states. We have people using the program in six different countries. I'm working with a group right now to get a grant to do some work in Iraq with some of their folks, because what we found is that not only are these things universal across every single different job sector, but they're really universal around the country and around the world. And that's, that's been really powerful. And it's given me a chance to work with awesome, awesome people from great organizations and also the two
0: of you. Well, right. Well, also that was kind of like a side yeah. note at the end there. First of all, I want to thank you for telling us that because I did not realize that you were internationally known like Pitbull because we too are internationally known and people don't know that but I think that's amazing, I think you really brought something you know up, which which always has resonated. you know, a lot of people will you know, I've always said this, and and this has kind of always been my personal philosophy on hiring is I can teach you the job, that's not the hard part, but I can't teach you the interpersonal skills. I can't teach you to be likable. I can't teach you to not be gossipy. I can't teach you to show up. These are the things that kind of make or break, I think, the personal relationship that you start building with coworkers and and colleagues and supervisors and and subordinates and and so I think that when you talk about the seven kind of core values, so to speak, right? The seven A's, the A game, right? All of those things, you know, you would hope adults would, especially adults, would have, but how receptive do you see the students that are taking the courses? How receptive do you see them being towards learning those skills? Do you feel like they blow it off? Like I already know these things or do you, feel like they get some kind of self awareness around maybe some of their their challenges.
2: Well that's really kind of the key to developing these skills more than others is that you can't point fingers at people and tell them what they're not doing or that they're not good at something. Or, Cause then all that does is create pushback, right? People are like, oh no, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm I'm totally on time every time except for when I come to your class, you know, or whatever it is, right? You know, people fight back on that and they'll fight back when you tell them what to do. So we really, I um, mean, bring your A game, focus instead on an approach using an instructional design technique, I, in layman's terms, call discovery, where we allow people to uncover for themselves why these things are important and what they need to do. Because as we all know, people don't argue with their own facts. When you uncover something, you own it and then you fight for it. If somebody tells you the same exact thing and tells you you should believe it, you'll fight back against them and mm-hmm. so we allow people to uncover things for themselves to discover them that ownership and that's really kind of the secret sauce if you will um and how to train these skills and it's very different than how you would teach Technical skills, because technical skills, you know, you don't want to be like, hey, we're going to kind of figure out together how to intubate a patient. We're just going to try some different things today. No, like you don't want to do that. So, right. you know, it's just it's a different way of thinking of things and it's a different approach. But when you apply it, it we've got great success. You know, one of the things that students say more often than not, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun, um, which is not something you think of when, you know, you're going to a class about how to be on time and, you know, keep your word. Oftentimes we're like, Ugh. Except, <laughs> For us, that's really kind of the the proof that it works.
0: That's awesome.
2: Well, that and data and numbers, but that's from the students at least.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, well, data and numbers. I mean, really, you know, don't get technical on us here. No, I think that's fantastic. So in addition to being the CEO, an international company, you're also a world-renowned keynote speaker. And so I'm curious, how does one who's keynote speaking, who's developing curriculum, is going all over, you know, the country, the world. How does one land in workforce development of all places?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, workforce development is one of those things that I I think for a lot of people is, uh, unless you're in the system early, is a great unknown. So I spent the first part of my career in corporate America, I spent 15 years doing hotel and restaurant management, primarily learning development, leadership development in that space. And left, I wanted to try and do something that was more, um, had more social value. The company I worked for was great in terms of that, but it was always a secondary mission. I wanted to try and figure out how we could just do things that were more positive as the primary mission. And stumbled in, a friend, colleague of mine, Eric Chester, had written this book called Bring Your A-Game to Work about the seven A's. And been working with somebody to try and help create a curriculum for high schools and it was okay. And, but wasn't really where they wanted it to be. And was like, uh, Hey Josh, we know, you know, training. How about you come in and uh, take over the company? And I'm like, uh okay. And so I came in, sure. uh, you know, I figured what was the worst thing that happened? You know, you run a brand new company in the ground, you know? They,
0: <laughs> yeah, there was no, I mean, yeah, there was no risk involved whatsoever. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, yeah. So it was just kind of like, sure, why not?
2: <laughs> that's, that's right. And after I got in, the other guy who had been um, with it had been sort of working in, in some different spaces. And, and then he left to go take another job, which was tough because he was my sort of Sherpa into what was going on in the space. I'd, I'd never really heard of workforce. I never really knew anything. And he's like, yeah, so I serve on the state work, board here in Colorado. Um, I'm leaving, but I'm going to go talk with them to see if I can get you appointed. So I'm like, the what? The huh? And um, before you know it, uh, <laughs> governor appoints me to serve on the state workforce board and to chair the state youth committee.
0: So uh, I dove into the- It makes perfect sense. It makes yeah. perfect sense based on your background yeah. that oh, you, yeah, would, totally. you become the chair of, yeah, no, that's, but I mean, hey, hats off to the the governor who could spot talent from a mile away, right?
2: I guess Uh, maybe they're just desperate. I don't really know. Uh, So really, I dove into the deep end of the pool. I I do know that. I mean, the funny part is the executive director of the state workforce board. I remember the very first time I met with her. We did coffee before I got my seat, and uh, she's like, "Josh, I just want to tell you, workforce is kind of complicated. It's probably going to take you like a year or two to figure everything out." And I'm like, "Look, Steph, I appreciate. I'm a smart dude. I've been around the block." I got, I got this. I am not worried. Two years in, I'm like, yep, it took two years. Because the system is so unique to every local area, to every state, there's just so much to learn that it really, it took me two years. And then of course, exactly at two years was when WIOA passed. And then all of a sudden, all the pieces got moved again. I'm like, ah, oh, started all over. But the great thing is, it's really given me the opportunity, this job, to work with folks from all over from all sorts of different local areas and states, from both government side, the nonprofit, the community-based side, and to just learn from them all the cool things that they're doing and the ways that they really are being innovative and serving their local communities and breaking out of some of these old patterns. I think Workforce has gotten a bad reputation for in the past. It's not, not everybody, but there's a lot of forward thinkers who are doing some really, really cool things. And uh, I get to learn from that and share those stories and and to be a part of that. And uh, so it's been really it's been great experience. I got a chance to serve on the board of the National Association of Workforce Development Professionals. That was a great experience. Trust I know you're a board member now. There's so much to learn, so many great people doing things and to be able to support the work that they do. And hear the stories, that makes my job every day worthwhile.
0: Yeah, I think that's awesome. So I'm glad to hear that you figured it out in two years because I've been doing it for like 20 and I'm still like, wait, what are you doing? Like, what's what's this new thing that we're talking about? So I feel like it's forever evolving, right? And so uh, yeah, let, me,
2: let, let me rephrase that. <laughs> I, 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 in two years, I knew enough <laughs> to then be able to have conversations about the stuff I don't know. That before oh, I was yeah,
0: like, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's forever evolving, right? I mean, it, yeah. like you said, it's like you learn one thing and then. You know, Then all of a sudden they add the O and, and W-I-A and then it becomes W-I-O-A and the whole world gets tilted upside down. Everybody freaks out. We all yeah. lose our minds and then we're all learning things over again. And, and I think that that's kind of a, a great segue into some of the questions that I think Aaron and I have for you around this because as you know, uh, we are currently uh, in the middle of a global pandemic. And talk about evolution. If anybody would have asked us on March 10th, which happened to be my birthday, Birthday in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, when we were all together last in person at the uh, Southeastern Employment and Training Association conference, and said. You're going to be sheltered in place, wearing masks everywhere, scared that you're going to get a really horrible virus that may kill you or somebody you know, and your world is going to be completely changed in the way that you do your work every single day. I would have been like, no, that's something that happens in movies. I've seen the movie 2012. I've seen contagion. Okay, that's not what this is. And then all of a sudden it happened. And so as things have evolved so quickly and also so slowly, depending on which time warp you're in today, My question to you is, how do you think this is going to impact um, this kind of evolution, you know, the future of work that you talk so much about? How do you think this is impacting the future of of what work is going to look like?
2: Yeah, well, and just to that point, even, Tressa, one of the things that I found, you know, you talk about, hey, what would be different? We went in March from just another month of historically low unemployment to now a place where we are at unprecedented levels of unemployment. At some point over the last six months, over 50 million people have lost their jobs or were furloughed or laid off. We went from having to scrape to try and find participants and to find people. And the folks who were coming in were like, oh God, this is going to take some work. And now so many people I know are not only not in the office, but are having to take phone calls for UI. We can't even do our own jobs because we've just been over, the system's been overwhelmed with the number of people. So just from that workflow standpoint, it's completely different. At a macro level though, I mean, and I think that's really where the bigger question's coming from. How has this impacted things? So there's a a funny uh, picture that I saw that I think is totally appropriate and for um, uh, for those of you, it's a Florida man montage because it really is a guy from Florida. Anyhow, so there's this fire in his backyard. He's got a little fire pit, and he's trying to get the fire to um, uh, to be a little bigger. And so he brings out this gas can, and it's a series of still photos of him pouring the gas can into the fire while it's going on, the fire then coming into the gas can, the gas can exploding and fire going all over the backyard. That to me, that Florida man is 2020 and what's happened. Um, (laughs) That about sums it up. Truly, that is, that's where we are. We didn't just pour gasoline on the fire. It just blew up in our faces. You know, what I look at in terms of the future work, what this has done, it hasn't changed anything. It has accelerated the heck out of what we already saw coming. And it's also pushed us to the point where we need to then evolve what we're doing faster. You know, one of the the interesting things, there's a, a guy out there who works for a company that does online education. but So he estimated that in the next 10 years, 10 million people around the world would lose their jobs due to artificial intelligence. And he said what COVID has done is speed that up by about nine years.
0: Oh, wow. I
2: mean, scarier when you look at folks from, you know, economists from the University of Chicago who estimate that 43% of the job losses of this year will never be replaced. And that's across multiple sectors. But I mean, you look in particular at the places that get hardest hit. And unfortunately, what we're also doing, and you talk about the pandemic of COVID, but we're also looking at a lot of these sort of racial inequity, social justice issues that sort of got brought up. And again, it's just exacerbating those because the people who are getting most impacted tend to be folks who are people of color, who are marginalized already, who have not had access to great education, not access to great job opportunities. As much as Aaron's like, oh, I'm working from home, it's da-da-da-da, right? Collectively, we get to work from home. We have that option. You know, workforce professionals, while it may have been weird and different, right? We get that choice. If you're the bus driver, if you are the stock clerk, you don't have a choice about whether or not you're coming to work or not. Right. If you are a housekeeper, if you're a front desk agent, if you're a cook, you don't have a choice to work from home. Your job's gone. You're not opening up. Right. And so it's it's exacerbated a lot of those. You know, you look at those pieces that are getting hit and those jobs are not going to come back. Probably the the biggest canary in the coal mine I still talk about is retail. Because retail was already on the way out. You know, people are like, oh, retail sales are up. It's so good. Retail sales are up. Yeah, online. It's not just the Amazons of the world online. It's, you know, you look at why Walmart and um, Target and even Best Buy, why their sales are up. It's not in store. It's almost entirely up because of online. Sometimes that's delivery. Sometimes their stores are nothing more than places to pick up and return. And so you've seen retail employment take a hit. And it's estimated that over 100,000 individual retail stores will close by the end of the year.
0: Wow. It's interesting that you say that because I noticed here where I'm at in Sacramento, California, Northern California, before this thing even got to the point where we're at now, I mean, we're talking probably May, April, May, which, you know, again, was really timeline of events. We really just kind of started sheltering in place and all that, like late, you know, mid-March, early April, all of a sudden it was Nordstrom's closes down and Nordstrom's is huge, you know, Macy's gone. And then the, the folks that we really see getting impacted is the guy. Or the gal that said, I'm going to start a brewery in this funky little downtown area. And yep. I spent my life savings and it was just starting to get up and running and people, you know, we're, we're still kind of paying off all the vendors and you know, we're, we're living hand to mouth here, right? Because you're in the first couple years of your business and they're gone. If you don't serve food, you're non-essential, you're gone. And so there's a lot of folks, I think like that, that are also taking the hit that maybe gambled everything on this dream and of being a business owner and just the timing was really poor as well. So I think there's also that group in in addition to the the folks that you mentioned. And I think that there's some repercussions that we probably won't even know about for years to come, what that'll look like down the road.
2: There's so many aspects of it. So, I mean, you look at that again, big companies, small companies, uh, 2019 had the highest number of national bank bankruptcies for for national retailers in the history of america 17 september 2nd we're at 26 <laughs> it's it's not i mean and those are just national retailers like that, that's not the local you know mom and pop stores where you're impacting not just workers you're you know it's entrepreneurs and the tough part is for a lot of these folks they don't have a lot of transferable job skills so you know go, from a workforce issue right and it's not like oh let's just go move them to the next retail opportunity that there isn't any, another retail opportunity. Let's take these hotel front desk agents and let's move them to another hotel. They're, no. It's not out there. You know, and what do, what do people want to do and how do we help, you know, prepare them and educate them and you know, on the plus side with that and this is where I talk about, you know, the motherhood of invention and a, a lot of those different things. where you're seeing is before it used to be that if people wanted to kind of get retrained, reskilled, you know, you're looking at a four-year degree or a, you know, a two-year associate's program or a yeah. Even a, even some of these certificate programs that people are doing, but those are like, you know, nine month programs and they're, you know, how do you make a living while you're in school? You know, how do you take your, your short term income while you're trying to do these programs? And obviously we already know what happens to funding for, you know, those individual education programs at the workforce level, right? I mean, they're gone within the first couple of months for most local areas. So how do people pay for these things? And it's, it's getting crazy. What I find is interesting is how the private sector comes to meet those needs. So a trend that maybe you're not paying attention to, haven't seen out there because it's not necessarily in workforce yet, but is really, we talk about the disruption of post-secondary education in America. So last month, Google announced that they are putting out a series of uh, Google professional certifications, all online delivered on Coursera. It's a six-month online program, costs like $600. And when you finish it up, Google says, their head of talent is like, we will accept that. As the equivalent of a four year degree in whatever area it is. And more importantly, they've got now a consortia of over 50 other major employers, Sprint, Intel, Microsoft, who say the same thing. And so you're going to see a whole circumvention of the traditional post secondary educational stream because it just doesn't make practical or financial sense for people. You know, you look at the polls that are out there in terms of what people are looking for. Working Nation just did a released a survey last week talking about if you if you lose your job, what do you think is the most important thing to get? And the overwhelming response was technical skills, trade skills, people who said they wanted a bachelor's degree in order to get reemployed, only 20%. People are just seeing it's just not worth it anymore. And so colleges are it's it's going to be tough for a lot of four year universities, they have somewhere between 30 and 40% of their incoming freshman class is deferring. If I can't be there in person, I don't want to be there. What happens to a university? When you lose that kind of student population, maybe they come back next year, maybe they don't. The tough part for our community college partners is a lot of people are like, well, people just stay close to home and they'll do community college. Community college enrollments in some cases are down 30%. It's it's tough.
1: Yeah, no, it it makes me think you asked a a good question. What's going to happen to higher education with that type of, I guess, non-enrollment or not attending? What popped in my mind is we're going to find out.
2: Because it's (laughs) at our doorstep, right? Yeah, yeah. it's no longer theory, right? Yeah, it is. It's practical, right? It's it's right there, and you know the funny part is like, so what is the value of four year
1: degree? Hmm? I get it. As you say that, it definitely it's self reflecting. But at the end of the day, working for you. Well, right. I'm in <laughs> no, my mom's just, basement sitting here talking to you. So hold on, mom. Um, beyond, <laughs> beyond, you know, her doing my laundry and stuff. No, yeah, honestly, I, I, I sit here and I think this, you know, uh, Truss and I, we we own and, and push and operate Tag Grants, as you know. And I think you know this, I might have mentioned, I own a, an event center here in Battle Creek. Yeah, it's like chirping crickets since March. Mm -hmm. So I I hear and see all these small businesses that are on their lifelines, you know, like thousands upon thousands. We don't know the end result of all this, but here it is. All right. So when I hear all that, I start to, it, it does kind of weigh heavy. You know, it's like, crap, where's the light at the end of this? Or is it a train, right? At the end of the tunnel. So I want to take just a twist on this and ask you, What's good coming out of this? Where can someone who's facing some of these challenges, either now or in the near future, what do they need to do, in your estimation? And I know you know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit on this, or maybe you've thought about it, but what can someone do to have resiliency in this crazy environment that we're we're living in right now? Yeah.
2: Well, I think the key is transferable skills, and that's uh, it goes across the board. So, before the five people who listen to the podcast. Send nasty emails to the three of us. She'll tell me tonight at dinner. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, That uh, I'm not anti higher education, but this is what it's going to make higher education do the same thing it's going to make job seekers and the rest of us do. And that's to shift up what we're doing, right? In the past, a four year degree was in essence a proxy, right? We didn't have any way of knowing that you had critical thinking skills or that you were uh, able to work in teams or that you had the ability to kind of do things independently. But we assumed that if you had a four year degree, that you had developed those skills in college, regardless of what your diploma was. That's why so many places are looking for four-year degree. What colleges are going to have to do, and many of them are already, is getting smarter about being intentional about identifying, credentialing, and really labeling those skills as part of what you get with that degree. In the same vein, for job seekers, for workforce development professionals, how do we get as intentional about developing transferable skills that we know are going to be useful no matter what the job future looks like, no matter whether or not you're going to be working from home, whether or not you're going to be working in a career that hasn't been invented yet. We know And that's, you know, shameless plug, but you know, that's one of the great things about the skills of the A game Mm -hmm. is there's no, there's no job that's out there. I don't care where you are that these seven skills aren't important. No one's like, you know, actually having a positive attitude isn't really key to what we do here. Right, oh, right. we don't really want people who are accountable to do what they say they're going to do. You can just hang out and do whatever, right? Nobody, no job says that those things are unimportant. And those aren't the only skills. You know, when you look right. at what futures say, what are the top two skills in the future? They're going to be in demand more than any other. It's not STEM. Mm. It's not computer programming. It's critical thinking and problem solving, mm. followed by communication, ability to work with diverse people. Right. Those are the skills are going to be most in. How do you develop those skills and prove to employers that you can demonstrate them? Is that through a credential? Is that through some life experiences? How do you do that? Like, that's what people can do to be resilient is to develop the things that they know will be helping them in the future, no matter what the future has in store. If you try and pin things like, oh, you know what? I really feel that cloud computing is where to go. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. Um, You know, AWS would tell you that certainly it's where they want to be. And they're training people to do that. That's great. But not everybody has the aptitude to do that. Not everyone has access to those kinds of things. So what are the things that you can do, regardless of whether or not you're in Battle Creek, you're in Sacramento, you're in Des Moines. You know, that's really where you want to go. And I think this focus and the shift to a skills-based economy, a skills-based hiring model, it's not a fad. It is the future. And how do we help our workforce professionals move to that as well? Because right? even in like resume writing and the rest of it, right? we're so big on degrees and completions and this and that. Where are those skills that employers are really looking for? And how do we help people create resumes and do interviewing that showcases that aspect of who they are and what they've learned and the value they bring? Because at the end of the day, value is what is going to help people get hired no matter where you are in the country, no matter what job you're applying for. If you can create value, people will hire you. Yeah. And that's no. what we that's what we need to stress to our job seekers in an uncertain future.
1: Yeah, awesome. That's a great, great response. I know our listeners and we joke we we have a few more than five, but <laughs> I think that's something that we can all really try to soak in and think about and really examine to ourselves, you know, because you're right, everything's fluid. You said it earlier in the podcast where, and I've heard this in different industries and in online retailing, and this pandemic has really pushed these, oh, in 10 years, we foresee this. Now we're like, "Eh, it took three months and we're (laughs) 10 years further than where we were because of necessity. And because people, like you just said, are resilient, resilient and said, well, how can I offer value? How can my company now be a value added to what's happening? I mean, look at Zoom, look at WebEx, you know, I'm sure they were doing all right before. But listen, I mean, just boom, and we got to get better. And we've got to have more features. And now there'll be other competitors coming in going, we want a piece of that pie. And so I'm going to add just one more thing about the future, because I do agree, there are certain aspects that Skills, so to speak, that you talk about that it just doesn't matter where you're at. Show up, get along, be honorable, tell the truth, you know. And they're like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But truthfully, I think a lot of employers in, in the business services, when we're visiting them, they're saying, Hey, we don't need someone to be ultra skilled here. We can teach them what they need to know. Yeah. We need someone to show up every day and to get along with people here. And I've heard that so many times. And I think in life general, in life in general, just living it, you see that like people we encounter like, oh my gosh, we'll do whatever to make this right or to work with you. The attitude or you didn't show up or you didn't send the email or we can't work with that. But I'm going to add one more thing here. And I think this is going to be super important. And it's it's a little bit shameless plug, but I, it really isn't. It's all about... It's not a shameless plug. It's really too yeah, a podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's true. Good point. So let me tell you about me. Um, <laughs> my first wife, Jen. I love you, man. But she told me that all the time. It's always about you. No, that's just a joke. Joke. So here's here's what I think also is going to truly help people transition not just now, not the 10 or 13 million people who are unemployed now with all those businesses closing, you know, we're going to be here for a while. We're going to have that unemployment rate to help those individuals, to help our students who are just graduated without graduation. And they're like, well, I was going to go to school, but we can't even go to school. I'm not too, you just said, you know, 30%. They just, I wouldn't go either, man. Half of going to college, right. Was getting to be social and have fun. Right. But even for for that population or those in their 20s and 30s who are probably 2 to 5 year job changers anyways based on statistics and that I'm not saying that critically it's just factual yep career development career help career advising career assistance helping Other people make good career decisions, like figuring out your skills, your interest, your aptitude, your likes, your values, as you had said earlier, helping someone to clarify that in a process, and I'm not here to plug any process, but a process where you make an intentional career choice you know i'm a, a generation x so my parents were like what are you doing you can't quit a job they're going to work 35 years and retire generation x eh, 10 years and we're like man that felt like a lifetime but most of us change jobs the millennials two to five i'm never going to be trapped right so we're all caught in this idea of making a career decision but a good colleague and friend of mine, Brian Hutchinson, I think his hashtag online is global career guy. I'm sorry, Brian, if I got that wrong, but he said something once that stuck with me. He's like, we're no longer trying to teach people to make that one career choice, that one decision. We're trying to help them to make the next best choice. How do I make it the best one when it comes up? Because there's going to be a lot of them. In my career development world, I'm like, I want to help people make that one career choice. I mean, it's kind of how I think while I was raised, is still in me a little bit where I'm like, let's make that choice. And he's like, no, we're past that. He's like, how do we help people make the next best choice? And I'm like, oh man, that just like stuck with me. But here it is. You need to get career guidance, help, and advising because people don't do that. And, and maybe those who are in chaos comes at you when it comes and that might work for some people, but for most people, they're just not very happy with their choice because they never really intentionally made one. So right. we, we have to rise up and and develop in our workforce systems, in our college systems, mm-hmm. career advisors to really understand what it means to help someone make the
2: next best career decision. To that point I you know, one of the things i I think it's so true, right? If you look at sort of generations and how work goes, right? You look at baby boomers, they were, they're going to work for one employer for their career. You look at Gen Xers, we're going to work for many different employers in our career. Millennials are going to have multiple careers. Gen Z are going to be serial entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and are going to be selling their services to whomever and wherever globally. To that point, you know, what's the advantage? we talked about doom and gloom of 2020. Right, right. But let's talk about what some of the positive things are that I think are going to stick with us. I joke around, uh, Mike Fazio and I just got done doing a, a podcast that was called The you know the End of Never. That's what 2020 is, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone's saying, oh, we would never do that. There's no way we could do that. You know, workforce people are like, we have to see our customers every day. We need to have the center open. There's no mm-hmm. way we could operate in a virtual environment. Oh, crap. Mm-hmm. Two weeks in, we're yeah. all doing it virtually. And I will tell you again, if you're just interested in, you know, like stupid studies, right. You know, 63% of work from home employees are more productive than people who go into the office every day, regardless Mm of how many hours they work. You know, that's kind of a plus, but more importantly from our space, you know, you talk about career coaching. One of the problems oftentimes people had with career coaching, you have to go somewhere. You have to Mm -hmm. find a coach. You got to go meet with them. You have to deal with childcare. You have to figure out how to make it work in your schedule. Now you can find a career coach online anywhere, Mm -hmm. anytime. You can be in rural Nebraska, Mm -hmm. not anywhere near a career coach, and get the same. Fantastic guidance and support that you could if you were in New York City. We've broken down these barriers because we had to. And so it creates a great opportunity for things like that telemedicine, right? Which then, of course, has a huge impact on healthcare, <laughs> allied healthcare professions, and how we do that and all the training. Mm-hmm. But the advantages here are great too. Right? Mm-hmm. We now have access and have broken down some of those sort of stigmas around this that we had before. You know, and some states are taking a real aggressive approach. So, you know, Indiana and Colorado have partnered with an organization called Skillful to so create a whole series of governor's career coaches that are out there mm. doing this more and more entities. The right, We've got to help people make better choices. That's correct. Um, to get out of the sense, too, that somehow we know what the best choices are for people. Because that's oh, right. kind of what we do, right? Part of that, unfortunately, you know, is well-intentioned, right? We've got these lists of, you know, in-demand jobs that given to us by the state, or we have grant funding that has to go to only support these in-demand job programs. And so Mm -hmm. not too surprisingly, everyone gets steered to an in-demand job. Even if that in-demand job actually isn't really in-demand anymore, everything has changed so fast. Or suited to them, right? Or even, yeah, yeah. (laughs) some people are like, I mean, I've I've heard great stories of people who are like, you know, they'll go in the career center and they'll be like, all right, so- a medical billing professional, you can get the certificate in you know nine months and it pays $45,000 a year. People are like, sign me up. Right. Get it. And they're like, I hate this. And then they've wasted nine months and they're in a place that they can't do, that's miserable. All they were chasing after was quick, easy money, even though it was never going to work out for them. Right? Yeah. We have to help people make smarter decisions. I, I think that's great. Make a great next career decision, not yeah. the career not decision. Not the, right? The next. Yeah. So yeah, yeah thanks
0: I I think that you know this conversation is we could literally talk about this all day because I'm so because it leads in as you guys are talking I'm like oh and then that brings up this and that brings up oh, this yeah. but but I, I think you're right I mean I think one of the things is you know what, what was the old saying I can't remember it but you know at some point they said only like two percent of people actually get to do what they love for a living and the rest of us just go to work for a paycheck and you know just kind of uh, go through like zombies and all that and, and I always felt very fortunate that while I had to do that for a long time. Earlier in my life, I went to work because I had bills to pay, but I was lucky enough to find something that I was passionate about and then was able to turn it into literally my life's work and work with people that I truly enjoy. Like the one great thing about, you know, so this is a little plug for entrepreneurship. The one great thing about entrepreneurship is you kind of get to choose your tribe and and choose who you get to work with. On the flip side, you also uh, have like 70 times the amount of bosses because every customer becomes your boss. So it's never that easy. But I think that the ever-changing, you know, the labor market projections would have said one thing and those are pretty much out the window now. I think that there are in-demand jobs and people do need to be matched with those jobs. They're just going to look different. But going back to both of your points, you've got to kind of create that value stream right? You can't just say it's in demand, shove them in it. It's in demand. And based on all of our career advising and assessment processes and understanding what you're passionate about, what your values are, would this in demand job meet those needs because at the end of the day this is this is where we as a workforce industry have to really start stepping up our game in the area of a yep. uh, proper assessments you know stop using the free assessment if the free assessment isn't giving you the data you need to help that person make that next best decision right and and i think that's one of the things but you know we we got to make sure that we're making that match for both the employer and the job seeker and doing it in a meaningful way for both. Because one of the things that you're going to find is even with Google and what they're doing, somebody can go through that course, but if they're not passionate about Google's mission and their culture and their, and buy into that, you know, because they were never asked whether or not they bought into it, they just took the course because they needed money and they're going to go do the job. That may not be the best match. Although I will say, if this whole, you know, professional development training thing at Tag Grants doesn't work out, that Google course thing, maybe uh, my next now, best decision I just, here. I don't know. And just, to,
2: just to clarify, too, <laughs> real quick, Tressa, it's not just employment with Google. They have a consortia of over 50 employers.
0: No, right, right. No, just keep saying, that in mind, in, too. It, if right, you guys work out here, you don't have to just
2: do Google. You could, you know, you could do ATT.
0: Yeah, right. But it's, it's still, yeah, you know, or sprint or whatever. It's the whole idea, though, that like somebody is coming to us in our workforce centers right now saying, hey, I've heard about this thing. I'd really be interested in it. It doesn't mean that we get to say, great, sounds good. Go forth and be merry. It means, okay, well, let's do the proper assessment here and make sure that all these things line up for you as far as the skills that you're going to learn. And are you, you know, because again, I don't know, it's hard to go back to school. I mean, it's oh, yeah. hard. It's hard to go into any training. I, I love this conversation. I'd love to keep it going, but I think the five listeners we have—well, five after today, hopefully—only um, have mom. the attention. Yeah, totally. Shout out, shout out to Dasha's uh, mom and Aaron's mom, who I think has some cheesy poofs waiting for him after this podcast. He can, oh yeah, he can't I come up out of the from the basement.
1: <laughs> I told her when I'd be. I told her when I would be done, so it's probably sitting up there right now. <laughs> So I'm going to talk to Sherry about that for sure. Oh,
0: my gosh. Uh, uh, well, I, yeah,
2: and let me leave this though, with the five viewers. Um, this is not anything that we can deal with. But one of the challenges that we're going to be faced with in the workforce system is, once again, that we are going to be dealing with antiquated measurement tools. When you look at the common measures that are out there, the reality is that they're not going to adequately measure Success in the future. Again, when you when you get to this idea that we're moving to an entrepreneurial workplace, and I don't mean that by people starting up their own companies, you're moving to a place where this gig worker, not as an Uber driver or walking dogs on you know wags, but a professional who is able to work globally from their home for multiple organizations on multiple projects, but it's not technically quote unquote employed by any of them how do we measure that? Contingent workers, e this is where we're headed as a result of this. And that's awesome for our workplace, right? Because now I don't have to leave my family. I don't have to leave home. I don't have to go to some city. I can do this from Battle Creek, Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. I can just do everything here for anywhere I want to be. I don't have to make those choices and uproot my family. But the downside is we're, we're not equipped to measure that on our current system. We're not equipped to help people get those. And so we're going to end up, unfortunately, because of the way we're working, not preparing people for that future because it doesn't fit our model. Mm -hmm. And so unless we sort of have a different way of looking at it, we're going to be setting our customers up for failure because we're going to be preparing them for jobs today. Careers that are going away.
0: Yeah, I I 100% agree. We we just talked about this yesterday. We had a workshop on just this topic, and one of the things that we looked at, and I think I actually have the the stat here, is that uh, the hiring practices now. I think about. I think it was something like 46% of employers are looking at moving to contingent workers as cost saving or doing 80% work, 80% pay and changing that. And so if that's going to be, you know, if we are truly operating in an in-demand or a demand driven system, which is what we should be operating in across the board for workforce, then we have to start, as you said, and I think that was a really great point was we have to change those performance indicators probably to look at what the actual demand is and what those hiring practices are. Because you get up every day, commute to your office, work eight to five full time with benefits this is what you get right unless you are probably in a government sector right most likely won't be the future and yep. so we we have to continue to adapt our measurements, our idea of success and the way that we work with the individuals coming into our centers and our businesses so we can redefine what success looks like, measure that, and then use that as kind of our benchmark versus kind of using something from JTPA and trying to adapt it to something that nobody ever saw coming, right? So yeah, I think it was actually
2: C, I think those are seeded numbers. Don't, you know, don't don't dag on JPTA like that.
0: Yeah, I oh, know, no. I know, right? That was kind of that was a slam there. Again, there's
2: there's so much kind of doom and gloom in here and we're gonna I was talking about some digging There is not a better time to be a workforce development professional because we have unprecedented opportunities. We now actually also have leadership and boards who are willing to take risks and do things they said they would never do before because everything has been upturned. And that was really what's holding us back more than anything else, right? We didn't have the demand that was out there. We didn't have necessarily the freedom to try to truly innovate as part of the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. And now we have no choice. And I think it is, there are going to be so many really cool, really innovative, really awesome things that people are doing. And for those of you who are out there who are listening, take this as your opportunity to stop saying never, to stop saying we can't do that. Break all the norms, break all the rules. This is the time because the future is now.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. Couldn't agree more um, that it, and it just now wonder why you're a keynote speaker, because like that really inspired me. But that it's says true. A lot. It, I know it, it does say a lot. And I think you're right. I, I think 100%. I really want to encourage anybody else. It doesn't matter what your role is. Yep. If you have an idea, now is the time to throw it out there. Now is the time because you just never know if somebody is willing to accept it. Now they might not have a year ago. But I don't care what you know this is about leading from where you stand and leadership has nothing to do with the title that you're given so if you have a good idea that you think would make things better for your workforce area for the people that you serve knock down doors send the email get on the zoom do what you have to do but tell it to somebody who can maybe start to look at implementing it and what that looks like in my opinion right now i don't know if there are any bad ideas you know what i mean because because yeah. i think because i think you know in some respects get through this but i agree the future is now and and if you don't mind I may steal that for this podcast title. Um, just and I, I will give you credit for it as well. So you you will coin that, but I, I love that and I think that's a great note to end this on. Josh, why don't you take this last thirty seconds and tell us about what is coming up for you, the A Game, the Center for Work Ethic Development, all that good stuff, and also how can people get a hold of you if they want to get your curriculum or have you come out and talk with with their staff about this?
2: Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks stress. And uh, before any further, thank you and Aaron for having me on. Always a blast to talk to the two of you. I just feel like uh, I'm a better person when I get done um, with our conversation. So thanks for having me on today. Um, If if you want to find out more about what we do, our website is workethic.com all one word, dot O-R-G. And that's got all the information about our research, about work ethic tips. You can sign up for free. It's got the Bring Your A-Game curriculum. I'm really proud. We innovated. We did something we would said we would never do. We created an entire online version of our curriculum so that people can present it remotely, anywhere, anytime, which is why we called it Bring Your A-Game Anywhere. That's available um, there on the site. It's awesome. You know, we, we started it June 1st. We've got over 5,000 users on it already. People are loving it. It's been awesome. I'm also doing a uh, webinar with the author of the book, Bring Your A-Game to Work, Eric Chester. Uh, That's going to be September 9th. That may or may not be before you read this podcast. listen to this podcast again or yeah. read it if you know if you want to get the transcript but right. um uh, so that's september 9th it's going to be 11 o'clock eastern 10 central nine mountain eight pacific uh what is that six hawaii i don't know Anyhow, oh
0: wow um, you're getting you got deep there on that yeah. level that was yeah uh, but, it'll, uh, it'll be tomorrow if you're on i don't know uh, in Singapore. I don't know. Or, how does that work? Is that how 14 sure. hours but, ahead? Um, <laughs> yeah.
2: But you can find out more information. We'll have that up on our website. Uh, also, uh, it'll be on my, my Twitter feed at at results driver. If you want to follow me as well, lots of great places to do this, but we're just one of the resources that are out there. I think again, now is your opportunity to try different things and we'd love to be a part of that. And um, if you want to find out more or just talk with me more about the future of work or the future of now, workethic.org.
1: I was just going to say we we truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us. On, on a serious note, which we're not always there when us three get together, which actually probably why we get along so well. But it really is good. <laughs> when trust said, I feel inspired. I'll to admit to you, so do I. It, it shows that you have taken your time to really study what's going on to, to use facts and data. And I think that's inspiring because that's what we tell everybody, you know, don't stop educating yourself on what's happening because, hey, listen, we can teach you a system, right, right. We can teach you a system, but you're the person who has to know the data and facts and they, they're changing so rapidly. Just stay on top of it. You don't yep. have to overwhelm yourself, but take 30 minutes a week and just at, maybe at lunch even and just, hey, it's your time. You know, you look up what you need to to get better at what you do. It doesn't have to be ongoing. You don't have to write a novel. You just have to stay tuned in to what's happening. But we really do appreciate you coming on our podcast and joining us. And I'm a believer that someday we will have some conferences and events again. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. As as much as this is good, and it helps a lot of individuals in their careers, there's certain sect of just that human interaction that we all need. And I look forward to that. So we truly are thankful to you for taking the time to, to share with us today.
0: Josh, as always, it's always a good time with you thank you for always being so energetic and so passionate about whatever it is that you're talking about. It makes me feel so low energy, which is not something most not people true, tell way. me. Yeah, I know. But, but I do want to say it's always a good time with you. And thank you so much again for just taking this time. Cause I know that you're busy and we look forward to hearing from you and seeing more, uh, you know, good stuff coming out of your camp. And until then this has been another episode of also, you know, known as the train wreck, Tad Talks.